until Jesus fulfilled the Passover at the appointed time historically. Are you getting that? They had their other offerings. They had their other sacrifices. But they weren't Jesus. So all those rituals prophesied to the fulfillment of the historical Passover fulfillment when Jesus, the Son of the living God, came born in Bethlehem as the Lamb of God and was taken and slaughtered for you and me to have salvation and begin the journey of the feast of the Lord. Passover is your beginning journey, and it culminates through Pentecost, Feast of Trumpets, Atonement, and the great glorious wedding feast, and the revealing of the manifested sons, and the rulers that will be called the man-child people at that time of the beginning of the millennial reign. Okay? Now, the dream. She said, Kathy, I had two dreams last night. The second dream I had was about me being with many others, but specifically with Lonnie and Kathy, the last day of the feast. That will be Friday. I'm just telling you, I don't know, you don't know what significance that has but I know what it means on the upcoming calendar to a point. It was evening, and Kathy was with Lonnie, signing in people to come here. They're either three-day or three-part conference. I was there to sign up, and they were talking about the cost. They were worried it would be too much, and I told them it was going, I was going to pay whatever they were asking and not to worry about that. The next scene was in the lower level of a big barn-type building, and Kathy was fixing all kinds of meat in large amounts in the oven, as well as lots and lots of other food. The size of the meat being cooked would maybe fit in a big wheelbarrow. She was concerned the food wouldn't be ready in time. I told her I would, I would fix the salad and it had to go in a huge bowl. Kathy was thankful. There were other there, others there helping, and there was lots of food to prepare and get finished. As I was going upstairs, the barn was totally open on one side. To get to the place to work on the food, all of a sudden I looked up into the sky. And it was dusk, and the sky was a deep blue and a big pink star-shaped firework-type vent burst open and appeared. It was a beautiful pink. It was not a firework, but it appeared like one because it was so sudden. A few seconds later, another one. 
then another one, and I knew it was God speaking to us. It was supernatural. I yelled downstairs so others would look up and see what God was doing, and many were looking up too. The firework-type things were all pink and would come at different places in the sky, then disappear. Then I saw numbers appear, starting with the number one, and it kept going on and on. They were in the pink color too, and I was trying to see if the numbers were going to stop at 12, but they just kept going on. End of dream. Now, yesterday morning when we were here in the being led by the Spirit before uh, Kevin's teaching, you know, none of the none of the communion, none of that was planned. None of that was planned. And I, when I first looked and I told Lonnie, do we have any communion wine? Like, get crackers? I don't care what we do. Just pull something together for communion. I, I looked and I saw 10, but I had seen the number 12. I saw 12. And remember, I came back and I said, would somebody count? Because when I first counted, I counted 10. And then you all told me there were 12. And it was because Betty had come in and Ben had come in. We had 12. Most of you probably thought 12, the number of the apostles. And yes, that's true. And yes, there were 12 at the Last Supper. But it's deeper and higher and wider than that. It is the apostolic number. The divine apostolic number. So in this dream, Karen is seeing this and she sees 12 and she was wondering, is it going to stop there? But it continues to go on and on and on. It just wasn't stopping, these numbers. This is her interpretation, and then I'm going to share a little bit. I've not had time to pray over this. I do believe it is, I have bear witness, it is a word, a dream from God, and it might have some unfolding things in the future. But it is very timely for now. And it was a great encouragement to me, because the task I have today, because of now the schedule has been changed, I have one day, an hour and a half. Do you know we, how long we went yesterday? To tell you about Pentecost and trumpets and a Canaan and a future tabernacle, it's not possible. My notes are this high. Off of this, I have a stack. I have files. That's how many notes I have, and I have studied over 40 years. I've studied prophetically at his feet for understanding. I've read everything I could put my hands on of anybody that I knew that had revelation on this subject. I took what God told me to take and I threw the other stuff out. That's why I haven't told you about the books. Because I just don't, I don't know if you can do that. I don't want you getting a mixed message. Next point. I haven't been able to write it down. And in one sense, if I write it down, it will be obsolete in one sense because he is ever revealing to us. Do you see what I'm saying? It's not going to be the end all anyway. So what I tell you or what I share or what I get to share today, there are so many layers to this of confirmation that is undeniable. And I can't do that because he did a good job yesterday of 101. We got a little basic on Passover. But all the other witnesses in scriptures to prophesy of this and what he said happened are amazing. 
concerns interpretation. She said, I'm open to your interpretation of this dream, but I'll share what I got. I felt it was significant of the last day of the feast, the wedding feast. I saw Kathy as the church getting the deeper revelations of the word of God prepared for what's coming. I felt the barn was abundant provision and the open barn was the open heaven of provision. I am not sure about the conference thing. Um, oh, part of this didn't print out. Uh, hmm. But I, I guess some of this didn't print out properly. I'm not sure about the conference thing, but Kathy was to preach about the feast, and she had hot and passionate words coming from God, being God was coming suddenly with great demonstrations of his compassion, his love. The numbers, to me, meant forever because I was looking for them to stop, and they didn't stop. She says, please add on and let me know. I hope this is encouraging to you. I love you. When I was there to be fixing and preparing the meat, that's exactly what the Lord told me. This is meat. So I've prayed for you because we are so used to milk. Yeah, even us mature ones, because it's easy. When you're tired and you've got a lot going on, what meal do you go for that's the easiest? Something you can grab quick and stick in the microwave. Meat takes longer to cook. Meat takes longer to prepare. Well, some of you drink protein drinks. Uh, yeah. We do it because it's faster. The meat of the word takes time. It has to be roasted. It has to be cooked. It has to be prepared. In some cases, it's so tough, God has to tenderize it so you can chew it. But we go for something easy to eat, and that's what we do in the spirit realm. We like the easy words because it makes us feel good, and it makes us feel like we know something, and it's palatable, and it's easy, and it makes us, we go away feeling good. Sometimes meat doesn't make you feel good, especially if you get a big dose of it. It takes a while to digest, doesn't it? I could have represented the church there, and I do believe that in the layer, but I do believe that I am a called one to prepare the meat. And, the, and just the significance, it was in a wheelbarrow. There's a lot, and there's a lot more to come. I've never seen a roast. I've never seen a sphere or anything in the natural realms that was big enough to get a big roast and chunk of beef off of it that would be big enough you'd have to push it through in a wheelbarrow. You follow me? So this is supernatural meat from heaven. The other thing, when Lonnie and I were talking about the cost, and she said, don't worry, I'll pay anything, that's exactly what we always say. I'm saved. I'll do anything for you, Jesus. Right? I'll pay whatever it is. Don't worry about it. I'll follow you everywhere. We were concerned about the cost because truth is, there's been many times that Jesus has led me somewhere that was going to cost me so much I didn't want to do it. It was going to cost 
my money. Built, bought, purchasing that house over there cost us every penny and more. More. We didn't have enough. The bank floated a loan for $100,000 on what we didn't have. We hadn't sold everything. He will take you to, I'm talking about money because, you know, that's easy. We don't like to spend it on things that we don't want to spend it on. There's the cost of your life. Oh, yes, I'll be your prophet. Yes, we started this, founded this work. Yes, we will do this work. But there are painful moments. And there is a big price to pay. And that means you give up your life. You give up your carnal dreams. You give up your opportunity even to make money. And then you have to totally depend on him. Which he uses you guys to supply. And now I'm busy doing his work and I can't go out and make the money that I know how to make. And I have to live in that place of trust. And you guys know what I'm talking about. Many of you in this room know what I'm talking about. And then, if you don't give, I have to love you. When you have it to give and you don't give, I have to really love you. When I know God said I told so-and-so to give it and you don't give, then I have to really, really, really love you. There's a price to pay. And in the beginning of those lessons, they weren't easy for me. But now they come easier. Because I know what it will do. If you, don't, if you disobey God, he'll find someone who will, and they get the reward. And it's that simple, and I feel bad. Instead of being mad, I feel sad for that person. I do. And they'll be called to do it again, and eventually they'll get it, hopefully. That was what we were concerned about. It isn't easy to pay the price because it's everything. It's everything. And sometimes it's not easy. On some days it's easy. Jesus had a day in the garden. It wasn't easy. It wasn't easy. So I'm not saying it's sin to, not, to have a difficult time. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's struggling into not my will, but thy will be done. And in order to get there, it costs you. It costs you your will. And you must surrender to his. So that was what that part was. And it was three parts. Because in one sense, that's what we have. Passover, Pentecost, and the fall feast. As you travel through these feasts, 
There's a price to pay. I gladly pay it. Sort of. Again. I don't want to test you, Lord. But I've had to learn to believe for the absolute impossible. You are not sent home with an inoperable brain tumor. You're given six weeks to live because there's nothing else they can do for you and not look for the impossible to be done. Breast cancer, my latest with the awakening breath and pulmonary embolisms. So many of you really couldn't even count them all. The impossible has been done in my life many more times than just those three events. And all of you out there, too, I've read some of your books. I, I know what's going on. But we're called to walk now into the days of the impossible. That barn represents the open heaven. It is definitely open. And there was a dream probably 20 years ago very similar to this dream that this person never even knew existed. This is a double witness. I take that, that now is the time, that it's now an appointed double witness time to start releasing some of these things. Okay. So I've been given the impossible task. Uh, let's see, is there anything else I wanted to say about that dream? The last day of the feast, the wedding feast, that's what we're celebrating right now. We're at Elizabeth's house. And that beginning number where she said it went on and on, it goes on and on into the eternities. But it starts somewhere, and we heard that yesterday with the first fruits offering. Jesus is the first of the first fruits, and we get to follow through. Now I need to grab my... Um, my notes somewhere here. Um, and when I say this is impossible, there's no way I can tell you everything. So we're going to get a little overview. Oh, Lord, help me flow by your spirit. Lord, I just surrender myself to to you. And please get me out of the way. So at Passover, we ended yesterday with Kevin saying, um, it's finished. Right? been celebrating these feasts since Moses. The Jews still celebrate them, having not accepted Jesus Christ as the true Passover lamb. So they are now celebrating the feast with us. But they haven't. They're blind. They're deaf. They haven't been able to hear, oh God, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one God. And they are celebrating them in the old pattern. And you are privileged to celebrate it the way Jesus intended. So we have the spring feast, 
which is Passover and Pentecost. And we have the fall feast, which is tabernacles. Now, in Christian circles, we have been taught that Jesus' work, he's finished. Right? Have, they t- have you been taught that? He's done. He's done all he's ever going to do. I hear them preach it. from the. He's done all he's ever going to do. You guys have got to get with it. You've got to figure it out because he's done. He's waiting for you to get with it. I've heard that. Have you heard that? But I want to tell you that even the past, Jesus did say it was finished. And Kevin reiterated to us that that's what the priest said when he was done slaughtering the lamb. And he is the high priest said, it is finished. Without the knowledge that you got yesterday, you could believe what regular Christian circles teach you. That everything is finished. They interpreted that as he's done. That isn't true. And let me tell you how you can know that. Because 50 days later, he did something. What did he do? He did another work. He sent the Holy Spirit. Did he not? So we can blast out that Jesus is finished in that sense you've heard. So please erase that from your mindsets. He's not done. And he did the wave offering, which was work. We heard about that. And then we did, he did Pentecost 50 days later, which was to send the Holy Spirit to you. Said I have to send him. I got to. I've got some work to do for Father. You've got to open your minds. His work isn't finished. His work isn't finished with you, is it? But how can we believe these things? We hear them and we just get them in our spirits and our minds. He goes to prepare a place for us. He goes on and on. Thank you. Just pop out there when you hear it, brother. So, Jesus has a second work to do. His first work was to fulfill this feast. At Pentecost, he sent us the Holy Spirit. And who is working with us now? The Holy Spirit is working here, inside of you. They are one God. We believe and acknowledge the Trinity here. Some churches do not. Each person of the Godhead. So, his second work, he comes back. He told you he would return. There is an appointed time for that coming. Is there not? So Jesus saved you. You, He fulfilled Passover. You got justification by faith if you received it, and you got salvation and divine health. You got Jesus. You asked him to come live in you. You asked him to come be with you. He's with you. He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Yet we know at the same time he's seated where? At the right hand of the Father. How can that be? It, 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 
our minds have a difficulty understanding the dimensions of God because we live in this dimension. And we try to figure it out. But at the same time, he's walking with you and knows everything going on and talking with you. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father on the throne. And all his enemies are being made a footstool for his feet. But he knows that an appointed time is coming and will be. And only Father knows when the time of the manifestation corporately of tabernacles is going to happen. It will be fulfilled just like Passover was. It will be fulfilled just like Pentecost was. And we have hindsight when we look at these feasts now. But when we go to talk about the fall feast, we are totally dependent on our understanding and revelation knowledge and interpretation of the law. We have to go back to the laws of God because that's what Jesus took the two disciples on the road to Emmaus to do. He said, you don't understand? Then let me come back. Let's go look at the law. Let me explain to you what happened and what's going to happen. We have to understand these sacrifices. Any sacrifice that was made has an association with Jesus. The doves and the cleansing of the leopards, you will find him having been sacrificed and associated with that. The two goats at the Feast of Atonement, the Day of Atonement, the fulfillment will be in Christ. All of the law and the, he is the great sacrificial lamb. There is an association between all of those. I'm only covering it to tell you that. We're not going to go to all of that today. It's impossible. But I'm depending on God to impart something to you. Only he can. You'll get something that's impossible for me to teach you in a day. Jesus is coming back. And that time he's going to begin the second work of Jesus Christ. Jesus is coming back, and he's going to do his second work. It says he will be riding in on a triumphal horse. We'll read about that in a minute, if we get to that. It says his robe is dipped in blood, just as the two-dove offering, one of them was dipped in blood. Just as Joseph's coat was dipped in blood, Jesus came the first time to finish the work of Passover and Jacob's blessing on Judah. Jesus came out of Judah. He was a Jew. He didn't call the other ten tribes Jews, only Judah. Jacob told Judah, you'll get the the scepter. That was the blessing from his father. But he told Joseph, you'll get the birthright. 
The first work of Christ involved receiving the scepter and sitting on the throne. The second work with the, with the sign of Joseph being dipped, it says his cloak is dipped in blood, tells us he comes to do the birthright work. He comes to do the birthright work. He will fulfill the second blessing that Jacob gave to Joseph. That means no longer for the rest of us are we just adopted, but the mystery of transformation takes place and we receive glorification of the birthright and the new name. The Bible says he will give you a new name and you will have this new name that comes with the birthright the true right to call yourselves the living sons of God. We are sons positionally now through adoption, paperwork, blood, but I'm talking about the fullness of manifestation of that. This will come during tabernacles when Jesus comes back. Now, Without further ado, with a little overview there, we see that um, I just told you about uh, Pentecost and that Jesus' work isn't finished. You had to know that because you have to get that settled in your mind as we go on to learn about this. Um, we know about the 50 days. Let me look at my notes here. Um, so his work on the cross did not complete the Pentecostal work or the fulfillment of Feast of Tabernacles. It fulfilled Passover. His Passover work made possible the fulfillment of the other feast. It was the beginning of the fulfillment. I want you to understand this, how these feasts were given. The first one, they left Egypt. It's symbolic of you receiving the Passover of Jesus and leaving the world behind. They had to leave their world behind, like you leave it behind when you become a disciple and a child of God. Then God led them to Mount Horeb. You remember the fiery quaking, the fire on the mountain? He was telling Moses to come up. Moses went up. He came back to the people. He says, I want you to stop having sex. I want you to all change your clothes. I want everybody to get washed and clean. You've got a few days to get this together. There's no nonsense. This is a sober time of holy consecration and setting yourselves apart. And I want you to meet me before this mountain because God said he's going to come down and he's going to speak to all of us. And the fearsome presence of the Lord was so much at Mount Horeb that the people, even though they were doing what God had said about washing and cleansing and, and for married couples, they weren't having sex. They were, they were just like being clean. But they got so scared during that time, they went to Moses. They sent some of the leaders of the tribes and they said, um, listen, 
we've seen those flashings of lightning. We've seen the fire. We've heard the thunder coming off that mountain. And we are too afraid that we are surely, if we even get that close, we're going to die. But we've seen you go up that mountain, and we know that God talks to you, and we want you to just go up into that cloud that's hovering over the mountain, and we want you to get his instructions, and then you come back and tell me everything, tell us everything he said, and we'll do it. Right? Isn't that what we always say to God? Pastor, you go do the work, you preach it to us, and we're going to do it. They were pretty much like we are. So Moses is disappointed. He's got to go up to God. He already knows God knows what's going on, but he's got to go up to God and talk to him about it. He goes up there, and he's up there so long that what do they do? They forgot what they just said. They weren't scared anymore. Moses is up there. He's been gone so long, he's probably dead. Now we've got to figure out who's going to be leader of the camp. And we're going to build some idols here and figure out how we're going to survive out here. And let's just have a party because we don't know what else to do. Right? And what did Moses come down the mountain? See, this was Pentecost. This was the Feast of Pentecost. This was the feast he told them in Leviticus to celebrate those days later. And Moses comes down. So I'm teaching you on Pentecost now. And Moses comes off the mountain. He sees what's going on. He's so upset. What does he do? He breaks them. He throws them down. I mean, this is like written by the hand of God. He throws them down and they break. And he's ripped. He's got his brother Aaron, the priest, who made the calf. You can't trust anybody. God wants to wipe them all out and kill them and Moses plays, prays illegal prayers. He goes up, look, look, your reputation's at stake here. How many times did God just want to be done with it? And sometimes he just, somebody has to intercede on your behalf. I could feel that in his heart today. I've invited them, but they've all got their excuses on why they can't be here. I have so much to give them. God was upset. You know why? Because he wanted them to come to the mountain. He had no intentions originally of having to write those on stone. He wanted to write them and inscribe them on every one of their hearts, his commands. They were going to have a supernatural manifestation of Father and the fiery presence. It was going to be inscribed. He was taking out their stony heart. And he was going to give them a heart of flesh that would manifest in their lives the commands and the fulfill the commandments, the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And before he could even get them written on the stone up there, they're down there making idols. That's us. Pathetic. And so God has to go to, well, I mean, he goes and he writes it on stone to let them know, but they didn't even get that. I intended to write it on your heart of flesh, but this stone represents your heart and the condition of it. It's going to be a lot more difficult for you now to walk in this. 
because you wouldn't come near me. So after that, every Pentecost was also celebrated in remembrance. Celebrated when they got the Ten Commands. But if the traditions were being passed down, and you can jump in here if you want to quickly, um, it was also their failure. It should have been. A feast of joy that they got the commands, praise the Lord. But repentance for not coming close to God. Amen? So now we go down thousand years, hundreds more years, and 50 days later, after Jesus rose, we come to Pentecost. Acts. Let's Let's see what we can read here. Um, let's see what other notes I could have. Let's go. Acts 2, verse 1. Who's there? Tell me when you're there. I'm going to have you read it. Acts 2. Verse 1. I'm going to get it on uh, the microphone for you. When the first day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire, distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Awesome. So now the fire that was on the mountain at Mount Horeb, now at the appointed time... Remember, he told them to celebrate this every year, forever. And they had been celebrating them. Right? But now we come to the historical moment in time that it would be manifest corporately in man's experience. That's why I want you to understand the Feast of the Lord are appointed times. And some year, some day, some year, they will all be fulfilled as Passover was, as Pentecost was. This is just simple overview. The fire comes upon the disciples. Tongues of fire. I want you to understand what happened this day. As Jesus became the Lamb of God to end all sacrifice in the temple for us for salvation justification of faith that day the priest the priest was to make a sacrifice for Pentecost now later in this story they thought they were drunk 
right? Can you find that for me? They thought they were drunk. When, when you find that part, later Peter said, we're not drunk. We're not drunk. It's only the third hour. Okay, read it for me. Others mocking said, these men are full of new wine. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea and all that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, to hearken to, and hearken to my voice. For these are not drunken, as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith the Lord, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. That's what happens when you get baptized in the spirit. All of that that she just spoke becomes your territory. It starts to happen for you. At the third hour... On the Feast of Pentecost, every day up until then was when the priest sacrificed, made his sacrifice on the altar at the temple for the people's sin way back when. I'm not pressing in. Happened. Peter verifies to us that just as Jesus had to be sacrificed at the exact moment that he was sacrificed to complete the prophetic laws that God gave Moses, so were the disciples had to wait 10 days. Don't you think that they would have liked it? Why did they have to wait 10 more days? Why did they have to wait? They're just like you, standing and tapping their foot in front of the microwave. Why can't this get done now? What difference does it make? What difference does it make? Why can't we have it now? What was he talking about? But they had to wait till even the third hour because it had to be perfect and it had to be precise and it had to fulfill the laws of the living God that are in the Old Testament that we don't read and half the time, it's very difficult. I'm not kidding you. We're not used to it. Without his help, it's hard sometimes to understand. Without the prophetic eye, you, it's difficult. But once you get it, you, you're like, whoa, aren't you getting it? They became the sacrifice. It was fulfilled in that moment with a beginning number of 120 disciples, men and women in that room that received the baptism that we call of the fire of the Spirit. And that was fulfilled now in man's experience. And it says that later as they preached, thousands were added to their number every day, and they were receiving the baptism of the Spirit, and they were being given a language 
that every man could understand. And this is prophetic, that God has given us a language, not only our prayer language or speaking in tongues in other nations. I've been in places, when I was in Egypt, one of the services, I was just, I, I, I don't speak Arabic fluently, that's for sure. So I was just singing in tongues. And somebody came up to me later that could speak Arabic and English, and they said, I didn't know that you spoke uh, Arabic that well. And I said, what are you talking about? And I go, well, I go, I don't. I, I don't know. What are you talking about? You know, I thought it was, I, I don't know what they were talking about. She said, well, I, saw, I heard you singing. You were singing in Arabic. I was singing in tongues. So I was speaking in another tongue. It was a sign. Do you see? I've heard of this happen in other cases uh, throughout my life. So it's not like a, a one-time privilege, but this can happen to you. This can happen to you so they could understand you, uh, whatever that meant and however God used it. But what I want you to know that as the temple sacrifice for the lamb, Jesus fulfilled, and that was done away. So on the Feast of Pentecost was the temple sacrifice for Pentecost done away. And now we are the living sacrifice. There was a change in temple. No longer was God going to accept or be there to accept the sacrifice put in the temple as he wasn't going to accept any more of their lambs and he wasn't going to accept any more of their Pentecostal offerings. Now we have a new temple. We have a new temple. It's not the temple where Jesus was preaching with the disciples. It's not there. It's not the synagogue. It's not the temple in Jerusalem. It's the new temple. It's the temple of the living stones and the living God. And it's baptized with fire. And it's like it's the predecessor of coming into the fall feast where Solomon anointed Solomon's temple, and he had it consecrated at tabernacles, and they celebrated a double manifestation of the feast for weeks, and the whole place celebrated. But fire came and filled the temple on Pentecost. Okay? Two appointed times have now been fulfilled. In man's experience, the door's wide open. Jesus rent the veil. We can go into the Holy of Holies. But too many people don't even know what that is. Many people don't even read the Old Testament. They don't know what that is. They might sing a hymn that says, Holy is the Lord. But they don't understand the outer court. They don't understand the holy place. There were three parts. The outer court, let's just say it was out there. Say this is the holy place and that up there is the holy of holies. The priest only went into that part one time a year. But you see, when Jesus became the sacrifice and he ascended, Kevin, one thing we didn't touch on, when he ascended, he not only brought the, 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 the barley with him or the first fruit, That blood was sprinkled, literally, on the mercy seat in heaven. He took his blood and sprinkled it on the mercy seat in heaven. He went up there with his first fruit, 
and I sprinkled it forever. It's done. It's complete. He covered us with his blood, and he covered our sin. And that is our position of standing now. But he intends to do something else at Tabernacles. And the second work. And that's fulfilled, and we'll talk about it in a minute. It's a change in temple, and now you are the temple. The heavenly city. That's where he accepts. Your life is now a living sacrifice. Do you understand? The only thing you have to die to now is yourself. To your soul life, your self life. Because he intended for you to live by the Spirit. He intended for you to walk and be led by the Spirit. He intended for you to grow up in all things as he himself did. Where he reached the qualifying moment in his life that he'd reached the full stature, the fullness of the stature of Christ, fullness of the stature of qualifying as son, 100% man and God. In the fullness of tabernacles, the fullness we will reach Christ in you, in your temple, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory in its fullness. We get glimpses. We get tastes. We've been tasting. We've been getting glimpses here. And then we pull back. Because when that fiery presence of God, it's just like at Pentecost, you get a little scared. It's like, man, if I'm going, I'm going in for the whole plunge here. I'm not sure I'm ready for that, you know, because that's the carnal nature trying to pull us back. That's the soul. I don't know if I'm ready to pay the full price. What's going to happen if I go head first into the glory? What's going to happen? Well, we got to. Find, somebody's got to be first to find out. And and do you want to be in that number? We had 120 disciples that had a lot of courage. And they had guts, and they stuck it out. They didn't know what he meant. He meant. They knew that Passover didn't go down any way they thought it was going to go down, even though he told them about it, right? So what I'm telling you today, you'll have knowledge, but you, he doesn't want you ignorant. He doesn't want you ignorant. God will inhabit a living temple No longer is he interested in dwelling in a place of wood and stone. You are the living sacrifice now. Just as Jesus, it tells us that. Give your lives as a living sacrifice. And we say that. But it's a fairy tale story until we experience it. 
awesome. Somebody read 1 Corinthians 3.16. And then somebody else look up Ephesians 2, 20 and 22, if you'd look that up, Sean. Oh, while you're looking that up, to tell you, the offering that the priests made on Pentecost were two loaves of wheat bread. And they weren't unleavened bread. It had leaven in it. This is very significant to you. We are still in the Pentecostal age. We were anointed when we transcended from the law into the age of Pentecost. We are under the Pentecost anointing. The next one is tabernacles. We're on the cusp of transition right now. That's why so many of us are peculiar and crazed out. Hungry for God. We're peculiar. We're crazy for God. We got in here and we cried out yesterday on our hands and knees and said, if you don't, if we don't get more of you, if we don't get more from you, or whatever, we're, we're going to die. We, we can't go on like this. We've got to have it. That two loaves were baked with leaven in the Pentecostal age. You've had the sacrifice of the living God, the Lamb of God, to take, to cover your sin. But like Paul says, why do I do the things that I don't want to do? That sacrifice, we didn't receive it to go on and keep sinning, but we still sin. I understand confession, but I'm here to talk to you about some reality in the midst of confession and positional. Okay? I I can tell you that I'm righteous because of Christ. I I can tell you all that. But in the age of Pentecost, there's still leaven we're dealing with. And we have to keep sweeping out the leaven because it's the Pentecostal age. That leaven is not going to be removed completely until the tabernacle age. And I will explain that to you in a minute. Do you understand what I'm saying? Jesus died and we say, cover. We say, I, I prayed here, cover this place with your blood, Jesus. Cover the people with your blood. My mother taught me, plead the blood, plead the blood, plead the blood, plead the blood. Cover, cover it with the blood. Put it on the doorpost. Put it on everything. Dip it into the blood. But we're covered. Our sins are covered by the blood. I'm about to tell you something God has got planned. Who's got that now? 1 Corinthians 3.16 as we move on. 1 Corinthians, yes. Know ye not that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. This is a man of God who's about to read this. I just want to say this about what he's for understanding what he's about to read. 
I wanted him to read it. Okay, so he's a son. He's been a good son. We have relational. He's a good son. He's a man of God. I respect him. I honor him. I honor Christ in him. He's been trained. He's been trained by uh, the ministries here, some of you that are attending this, as well as us. He's been trained by the Holy Spirit. He's been trained by God in addition to all that. Because it takes everything to get us where we need to go. Same time, we ordained him as a pastor. He's a pastor, another pastor in this house, a shepherd. But he has a strong call and commissioning in, as a prophet. And he's been quiet. He's been taught, if God isn't really saying something, be quiet. Because you will account for that. If you want to say God has said, fine. But if God isn't speaking, then let it be an exhortation, a prophecy of exhortation. But don't start prophesying something that God isn't actually speaking at this time. And he understands that. So he's been kind of quiet. But when he speaks, I like to listen because he's understood that. So Sean is a multiple gift five-fold ministry that we're going to read about. He not only fulfills the office of elder, ruling elder, he fulfills the office, an office of pastor, and also prophet. That means he's a multiple gift. There may be more coming. There will be manifesting. Amen? In the days to come. Now read it. Ephesians 2.22 in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Having then built on the foundation of the apostles and the and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building, being fit together, grows up in a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place in God in the Spirit. Amen. So the foundation of this temple are the apostles and the prophets. Now, most of the churches in the world today, we just hear about pastors. We use that term because most of us don't understand the fivefold ministry. The apostle, the prophet, pastor, uh, teachers, pastors, evangelists. Did I get them all? Those are the five-fold ministry. They are actually Christ's gifts to the church. I wrote a book on that. Betty teaches on it in our school. When Jesus ascended, it said he gave gifts to men. And they were apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists. Amen? Those are the gifts. Those are ruling leaders in your midst that are supposed to help you grow. And you need all five of them to get you where you're going. 
But in that passage that he just read, he said that Jesus is the chief cornerstone of this temple, and the the apostles and prophets are on the bottom holding the foundation of this temple. It's a lot of weight to bear. A lot of people, I want to be a prophet, I want to be an apostle, I want to be Udva. It's intense. You know, only God can give you the strength to bear it and bear up under it and not break down. Acts 2.15. We already read that. Okay, uh, let me go through here. So now we know that the feast days are prophetic of events to come. Not only what? But when, right? We can all say that. We believe it's just as important for the fall feasts. And now we're coming into them. Um, We see that there's both an individual application, right? You get to personally experience this. Many of you have experienced Passover and Pentecost. And we know that there is a corporate historical event. I'm just relaying that to make sure we're all on the same page. Jesus at the appointed time was crucified, and without it, we wouldn't have personal justification without that. Um, Pentecost is experienced in our hearts in order for us to be sanctified by the Spirit. Without that happening, there would be no indwelling of the Spirit. They didn't have an indwelling of the Spirit of God until that Pentecost, 50 days after Jesus was there. Amen? Now we can have that. Now you have access. We know that the Apostle Paul and some of the apostles, when they were kicking off the first church, they would go to places and they were serving God and they'd received him as their Savior. And he'd say, well, have you guys been baptized? Yeah, we've been baptized with water. Uh, have you been baptized by the Spirit? And they go, we didn't even know, we didn't know about that. So wherever we find that, we need to tell people. We, see, we enter into that evangelistic offering, and we tell them about the indwelling of the Spirit, and then they would get baptized. So it's still going on. We're in the Pentecostal age. Now we come to the fall feasts. Okay. This is difficult. Because we don't have hindsight. We only have the word of God. We only have what Jesus said about it. What did Jesus have to say? I don't like to read Bibles with commentaries. I like Jesus and the Holy Spirit and Father to be my commentary. I like to get their revelation before I get mixed up on somebody else's. Once I hear from them, I run around, I look at some stuff, and if I hear stuff that's lining up with what he was telling me, I'll read that. Because maybe they got more than I did in his presence that day. Do you see what I'm saying? Um, We come into the fall feasts, and these are the feasts of the Lord. They are the appointed times. Uh, let Let me read with you on page 67. Here. Leviticus 23, 33, and 44. This is God talking to Moses. And again the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the sons of Israel saying, On the 15th of the seventh month is the feast of booths for seven days to do the work of the Lord. On the first day is a holy convocation. You shall do no laborious work of any kind. 
For seven days you shall present an offering by fire to the Lord. On the eighth day you shall have a holy convocation and present an offering by fire to the Lord. It is an assembly. You shall do no laborious work. Verse 37 says, These are the appointed times. That's what the word of God says. I'm not coming up with these terms. This is God's word. These are the appointed times. And I don't know if I'm saying this correctly, but it's moed. Am I pronouncing that in the Hebrew? These are the appointed times of the Jews? No, it doesn't say that. These feasts are not for that. These are the appointed times of the Lord, which you shall proclaim as holy convocations to present offerings by fire to the Lord, burn offerings, grain offerings, sacrifices, libations, each day's matter on its own day, besides those of the Sabbath of the Lord, and besides your gifts, and besides all your votive and free will offerings which you give to the Lord. Verse 39. And then he goes in and tells them how to celebrate it. On the 15th day of the seventh month, when you've gathered in the crops of the land, you shall celebrate the feast of the Lord for seven days. And with a rest on the first day and a rest on the eighth day. So you celebrate it for seven days, and then there's one more day. It's the eighth day. It's the last day, some of us call, of the feast, like that dream was about. Now on the first day, you shall take for yourselves the foliage of trees, just like we did, that booth out there. That was put up for a visual aid for you. The children and the adults came and built that booth. You should take the foliage of trees, palm branches, bows of leafy trees, and willows of the brook, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. You shall thus celebrate it as a feast to the Lord for seven days in the year, and it shall be a perpetual statute throughout your generations. Perpetual throughout all your generations. I want to tell you, we don't have time to go there today, but write it down. Read Zechariah 14. It is Zechariah's word of the Lord about the last days. It's the millennial reign after Jesus has come back. It says they will be celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles. And it says that the nations do not come up to celebrate it during that millennial reign, during that time. They will not have reign. Read Zechariah 14. This is prophesied of the millennial reign. So how long are we going to be celebrating these feasts? I don't know, but I know we will be celebrating them in the millennial reign because the word of God says we will. And he says there's replications for not celebrating them. So if there's rep- replications for not celebrating them then, what's What do we need to know now? What do we need to know now? It's seven days. It's not three days that you had time to attend. It's not, I can make it for the last day, because I hear there's something really going on and somebody had a dream. There might be something happening there. 
Come on. This is meat today. This isn't baby time. You eat it all. We ate all the lamb yesterday. He doesn't want you to miss a thing. Even when you don't think he's manifesting and giving you something during this feast, you're getting fed. You're getting fed by his hand. In the Middle East, they have a saying, let me feed you by my hand. It means that's how much I love you. And I learned that when I was in Egypt and we went to an Ethiopian wedding feast, and they warned us, they said, if they like you, they're going to come. And they don't use utensils, so they use bread, and they pick up the food, and they lick their fingers, and they take another pipe. And if they like you, they're going to come over, and they're going to come from their plate, and they're going to feed you with their hand. They said, we just want to warn you now because you can't refuse it because they will be, like, crushed and offended that you would not eat from their hand. If this is a Middle Eastern custom, your daddy came and he cooked you all this food and he made this banquet. And he sent out invitations and then he sent out his servants to compel and twist your arm to come in here and I st- and you still didn't come. You see? And he's here prepared to feed you with his hand. Come on, Daddy, lick your fingers. Put them in my mouth. Put the coal to my mouth. I want it all. We learned something there. He's here to feed you with his hand. He's here to feed you with his hand. He was there on Mount Horeb to write the laws of God on your hearts. You shall live in booze for seven days. All the native-born, and it goes on, shall live in booze. So that your generations may know that I had the sons of Israel live in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God, so Moses declared to the sons of Israel, the appointed times of the Lord. He repeats that doubly. These are appointed times. He said he will be here. He makes an appointment with you. He tells you to get here. And let me tell you, when my son is a dentist and he has appointments, and his time is valuable. It's very valuable. And he has to tell some people that they have to wait three months to see him. And if he said he's got an appointment with you and you don't show up, and it costs somebody else that had to wait, that didn't know, then you're a no-show. Uh, how does that make him feel? He doesn't like that. It's upsetting to him on many levels. Not just that you missed out, but that you think you can just come in and make another appointment. Guess what? You're going to have to wait several months now. It's not that simple. These principles apply to us. We find out about how God works in everyday life. Okay, so we know these are established. Let's go to the Feast of Trumpets now. I, have, I could teach on you for three days on the Feast of Trumpets, and the time is going, but I'm going to have to glaze over these now. I can only tell you what I believe and what I've gotten understanding and knowledge from the Word of God and some of the things that Jesus has said. 
Jesus, when the disciples asked him, they were all, when are you coming back? If you're leaving us, when are you coming back? Right? When my granddaughter leaves for Kona in a couple days, we're going to be talking about when am I going to see you next? I'm going to see you then. I'm going to see you then. You know, it, it's just human nature. We're going to miss them. When are you coming back? We don't want to be, don't, don't hang out there too long. When are you coming back? And what did Jesus tell them? We're not going to look up all these scriptures, but the people in this room know what I'm talking about. We'll do this the second time. Jesus said, No man knows the day nor the hour except the Father alone, not even the Son. He's talking about the appointed time of fulfillment of his return at tabernacles. This is the only feast or feast days that have not been manifested in the individual experience or the historic appointment of time for fulfillment. So we continue to celebrate these feasts just as they did all those years before Passover was fulfilled and Pentecost. Are you tracking? So we're doing it here. But I know that he's not, this isn't, this isn't 2017 and the return of Jesus Christ is here. I know that. Didn't happen this year. What Jesus said to them, no man knows the hour No man knows the hour or the day except the Father, not even the Son. That was an idiom of Jesus' time. We read it unless you understand and you've done historical research to learn everything you can about Jesus and the history and the days he lived. Unless you've been to Israel and seen some of this stuff, the meaning, we don't get it unless we've learned it and dug in like, like my brother over here and some of us that have his stack of notes this way. That saying was an idiom of the day in Jesus' time, and it meant it was a reference to the Feast of Trumpets. The Feast of Trumpets that we just had to start these fall feasts, that day... The priests were to go outside when they knew it was time and they would look in the sky and you'll read about it for the silver sliver. Have you ever seen the moon when you just see this teeny little sliver? It's known in the Bible as the silver sliver. They were told to look for this because the priests would go out. If they saw the silver sliver in the sky, what would they do? They would do what Ralph did here. They would pick this up, and they would blow the trumpet. That let all all the people know the Feast of Trumpets is today, starting tonight, after sunset, when they could see that silver sliver, this is when the fall feast begins, starts the countdown. Moses was given instructions to make two silver trumpets. I'm throwing this in here as a sidebar. 
He said, use one, if you use one, if you blow one silver trumpet, it wasn't like this, a silver trumpet, the first one I know that they ever made. If you blow one, it calls all the leaders, the leaders know to come and gather and assemble. If God, if I tell you to blow the second one, after that, that means I'm calling all the people too. I want the leaders and all the people to assemble before me. We're going to come back to this in a minute. When Jesus returns, what's going to happen that the word says? There's going to be shouts. The shout of a trumpet is going to sound. Okay. There's layers here, and I don't want you to get confused. Help me, Mark. Okay. Now we're going to talk about trumpets. Jesus was not born December 24th. He was, Mary was overshadowed by the Holy Spirit about that time, December 24th. And that was one of the reasons they chose that date to celebrate Jesus' birth. These decisions were made many years later after Jesus was born. They had many pagans that had been coming in and getting saved. And those pagans loved to celebrate the winter solstice. These were traditions for eons. And they were having a hard time getting them not to celebrate them, the evergreen rituals and so on and so forth. This is a historical fact. You can Google this, read a few articles and hear about this. So they also knew that because Jesus was born at the Feast of Trumpets, they were going to acknowledge that there was life in the womb around December 24th, the winter solstice. And they picked that date to celebrate as the birth of Christ. That could be something said to those right-to-lifers that life begins in the womb. Wouldn't it? Come on. All right. Jesus was actually born in September. I'm not all wigged out that we've been told it was December 24th and that we also have the blend of Santa Claus. You know, I mean, it is what it is, but the world still celebrates my Savior, my love, my Jesus. They celebrate his birth in whatever way they do, and praise be to God. I, what, we need to celebrate it all year round, that he's... He was born and, and he's alive and all of it. So I just look at it to anybody I teach this to. You're starting Christmas right now. You started it at the Feast of Trumpets. There was an announcement. If you now combine the story on your own time, because we're not going to, we don't have time for it now, take the layer of that, of what you know about the birth of Jesus, what you celebrate in December, and now bring it into. September-ish, when the Feast of Trumpets. Oh, thank you. The idiom, idiom, no man knows the day or the hour. So now Jesus is telling them that. He's giving them a clue that it's at the Feast of Trumpets because he knows the priests have to go out there. If it is a cloudy day, the law allowed for that. 
because this year we went out to look for the, we had a celebration here, we met, we were doing something here, we went out and we couldn't see it. It was cloudy here. So, so it was over there. God told them to go out, this, if they didn't see it, to go out on the day that it was supposed to be able to be seen. He said, go out and look again. If they didn't see it the second night and it was still cloudy, and if it was still cloudy the third night, God told them to do it anyway, to do it, fulfill it. If you don't see it, start the count right then. Um, you see, no man knows the day nor the hour, the year. The Father alone knows that, when this appointed time will be fulfilled. He hasn't even told Jesus yet. But we have been given the seasons of God. He is now revealing mysteries. He is now clearing up error that we've been taught through the ages. He's restoring. You see, these feasts follow a pattern. They're, they're the pattern of the restoration of glory that Adam and Eve had in the garden. That's the restoration of mankind to give us back everything that was lost during that time until we are complete in his likeness, and the fullness of his glory dwells in us. So we know that somewhere along the line, the trumpet, the feast of tr a trumpet is going to sound, and there's going to be a manifestation. It says at the sound of that first trumpet, a resurrection is going to occur in the earth. It is called the first trumpet resurrection the first resurrection some of you might have been taught there's only one resurrection but I want to read to you a little bit I told you about the feast of silver and he goes on uh, if you want to read this yourself numbers uh, 10 1 through 10 but for sake of time I want to talk about this so it's the first day of the autumn feast, and in First Thessalonians 4.16, the Apostle Paul tells us this, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Okay? didn't say the other people. It said the dead in Christ will rise first. Later, John tells us about another in Revelation, another resurrection where all the dead will be raised and the great white throne judgment. So in this case, when Jesus returns the second time to set up his kingdom on earth, there will be a first fruits of the dead in Christ shall rise first. It's the first event on the prophetic fulfillment calendar of the fall feast. Some year. Some day. Only the Father knows when. And he's even given himself another loophole in the law. Jesus told us it's going to be rough around that time. And he said, my father may cut the time short 
so that the elect shall be saved and not all flesh will die on the earth. That's some heavy revy. Call that some heavy revy. Heavy revelation. So there's two, so the law suggests that there will be more than one resurrection. This is what John says in verse 24 through 6. And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of the testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God and those who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received the mark upon their forehead and upon their hand. And they came to life and they reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Come on. It's at the beginning of the millennial reign. When Jesus comes back, this is a first fruit number. I myself believe it is the overcomers. I believe it is the barley people. We said, it's nice to be in the wheat crowd. I, I don't want to settle for that. I want to be part of the first fruit number. Paul said, I'm running the race for the prize of the high calling in Christ Jesus. I want to be part of the first resurrection. If I'm not alive on earth when he comes and I'm changed in that way, some will remain until he comes. They'll be alive when he comes, and this process will happen when he does come. But if I have died, I want to be part of the first resurrection, don't you? I want to be there for the millennial reign. I want to have some use and purpose. But could you tell me that if all Christians that you've known that have died, would they all be ready to be rulers and kings and priests? Come on. The overcomers know the process. And that thousand years, what do you think that thousand years is for? Just give me some give me some idea. What do you think that thousand have you thought about it? What do you think it's for? Time to be trained. If you're not. It was uh, to, I've always felt it was like another Garden of Eden where we all have the choice to get mature and, and grow up, though. Um, Adam and Eve, they, were, they didn't have a, a, a lot of teaching because they didn't ask God for it. <laughs> and so I just felt that it was like going to be another Garden of Eden where we all had that time to grow up and mature and and. No, and then and then comes Satan again, and then we have the choice once again to resist the devil, and we have more uh, ability to resist the devil because we've already seen what's happened in the past. Okay. So, I, I don't want to fill this up with everybody's Uh, there's mention in the Bible about overcoming, and so I believe during that um, thousand-year time that uh, we'll receive re rewards as far as a position, and we'll be exercising those positions during that millennial reign. Yes. I believe that we need unity because the church 
isn't in unity. And it's a place where we're, we're going to have to come before Satan is released. It isn't right. Did you ever think? Did I mean, you know, as a kid I would think about it. He is smart. He is very smart. Okay. Betty, did you have anything that you wanted to share about the thousand year reign or not? to rule a nation. All right. So you got a little bit of timing off here. What is the purpose of the fivefold ministry right now? So when is the time for equipping? It's right now. Okay? If you are going to die, if you die as an overcomer, as a martyr, we just read about it, we read about who's going to be resurrected in the first resurrection. You will have paid the price now, become equipped, to become equipped to do what in the thousand-year reign? It's not for later because now we're going to be doing something. There's a first fruits number of Christians only. And I don't believe it will be all of them because they didn't get equipped. And that's not, it's just, it's part of the reward. Paul said, I'm running the race for the reward of the price of the high calling in Christ Jesus. And if there's anybody in the Bible that put his nose to the book and put his face looking for God, he's one of them. He was equipped and he was equipping, was he not? He's an apostle. Are you apostolic? Then you are being equipped and you are equipping. As you get equipped, you start to equip someone else. This is the time for learning. You will take all that process, as she said, and you will use that if you are part of that number. He says you're kings and priests. He's got to appoint you. He says, I'm going to put some of you to rule in the parable. He says, uh, you guys aren't going to rule. I'm going to take what you had and give it to this one. Nevertheless, you're not going to be kicked out or anything. But guess what, buddy? I'm going to use you to rule over Pakistan. I'm going to use you to rule over whatever. The nations of the earth, the peoples will be here they do not know God. Look at the Middle East. They don't know Jesus. We are then to equip, if you've been equipped, to teach and to rule over these places. Why? We are to teach them the laws of God. It will take a thousand years. There will be a lifting to a point, because like my sister said, like the Garden of Eden, you know, that would have gone, they were, they were meant to live forever. They were meant, they were meant to live forever. At, we, don't, we don't get that forever thing, because the Bible tells us that if, if you die at 120, it would be as if you died as an infant during the millennial reign. You see? The lion and the lamb, they sleep together. 
So there's some of these curses are being removed from the earth. Okay? Because I'm going to talk about that in a minute when we get to atonement. Some of these curses are being removed, but still people are dying. It says it tells us people will still die during this thousand year period. It means they will have extended life. It's still going to rain and not rain. He's restoring the pre-flood lifespans where if you live to be as long as Enoch and all those other Methuselah, do you understand? So some of this is coming. The pre-flood life plans are coming, but thousand years we're teaching. 980 years, Satan gets thrown in the pit, so we don't have all that. But it still takes a thousand years for us to equip people to get rid. Remember the process. The Israelites died off in the wilderness. They couldn't get it. But he's giving them the extended lifespan that you didn't have to learn the ways of the Lord. And it says, if you don't celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles during this millennial reign, God's not going to reign on your nation. So we've got a work to do. Awesome. I don't know where you might going. You might have an affinity to something. I have no idea how he's going to appoint it. That's up to him. But he said he's going to do it because he says, I'm going to give you to rule over nations. That's the reward she's talking about. And uh, Sheila, also, what did you say? Yeah, go ahead. Jump in there. Sheila, what did you tell me? Unity. Unity. Okay. What do we need right now? It has to come. That's, that's the scripture that was on my mind. Judgment comes to the house of the Lord first. We, this is the feast of unity. This is the fe- unity brings what? Joy. <laughs> uh, we will talk later at family. It's the end gathering. It's I love you more than myself. I do anything for you. If you're hurting and hurting, I just I wanna I wanna fix it. I love you. Oh my gosh, unity puts that to death. That's like, that's like a Star Wars laser of death to that. Also, Kathy, There's no place for that. Yes, brother. Just touch on the uh, two-thirds of the population repopulating the earth. Yes, that too. Because the Bible does historically tell us that two-thirds of the population will have died. He said two-thirds of the population, the Bible tells us that two-thirds of the population will, of the earth will have died at this point. And we must... The apocalypse, we must replenish the earth during this thousand years. So so think of this. If you're alive and some of these curses are off of us, you could live long enough to have your own tribe. I mean, think of this, guys. I'm all done with that. Four was enough. I, I'll just do it positionally. I'll be a mama. I'll be a mama in Israel. Exactly. But I'm just saying, anybody, you know, we have so many crazy ideas. But if you get, if you are one that gets a glorified body at the time, you're not going to need to be in a reproductive state. Do you understand what I'm saying? And some will have that. Okay.
Now, uh, what did you say again, Pastor, there? To repopulate the earth. Thank you. But the point is, is that as we talk about this, as I said yesterday, as they waited at Pentecost for something that they knew not was going to take place, there was a dispensation of time that they lived through. So will not be the millennial reign. There will be a people that, yes, those that have been died, has died in Christ will rise, but there will also be those, those that have been raised, if you will, transformed as sons, as Christ was birthed, the first of many brethren. So, well, so won't be these sons on the Feast of Trumpets. And in turn, they will then walk in as the disciples did in the upper room. They walked right in to the new covenant. So in turn, when we're looking at young people going to school, because that's one of the fallacies of people talking about there's no reason for our young people to get educated. If two-thirds of the population is removed from the earth, and the earth then is going to be repopulated, who is going to train all of these new people? Exactly. That's why you're being equipped now. Because there will be 20 years when Satan is loosed upon the earth. Then the test comes for all of those that have been born over that 980 years. Right. They will. They will not know what sin is. You see, you see, sin will. See, the enemy has been Satan's bound for 980 years. That was his sentence. I thought it should be longer. I asked God, why is it so short? After all the destructions he's done, from even before he fell, all the destruction in heaven, everything he did to you, Lord, everything he's done to mankind. Why is it only 980 years? I heard of people doing horrible things on the earth that have gotten consecutive life sentences that add up to three or four hundred years. And I'm like, it just doesn't seem fair. And this is what he told me. He said because he got them to commit those sins, he didn't do them all. He got you to do it. He got the people to do it. He did not commit them himself. And I am a just God. And the ones he broke, that's what he's getting time for. At that point, there will be that 20 years-ish. These are roundabout figures here, folks, according to the scriptures. And then all the people that have been born, not you, because if you you walked into this and you're one of the people that's an assigned king or priest or, you know, you're ruling, you're teaching, you're equipping the people that are being birthed in the earth during this replenishment stage and the millennial reign and Christ is there. It's awesome. Um, But those people that have never been tested by the enemy, he's let out. It's those people. You figured this out before we even got there. You see what I'm saying? Because remember, John said, 
I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of the testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God and those who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received the mark upon their forehead and upon their hand. And they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. They reigned with him. The rest of the dead did not come to life. This is in your Bibles until the thousand years were completed. This is the first resurrection. That is verse 5 I am reading to you. It's pretty plain and clear. There are two resurrections. John, the revelator, the lover, Blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power. But they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. Okay? And then we get that in a year. And then we come... So not all men were raised at the first resurrection. And it doesn't say all believers were raised at the first resurrection. It didn't say that. It qualified the Christians that would be raised at the first resurrection. Did it not? Jesus said... In the book of John, verses 5, 28, and 29, he said, Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs shall hear his voice and shall come forth. Those who did the good deeds to resurrection of life and those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. Jesus is talking here about the second revelation. Uh, resurrection. The one I just talked to you about was the first one. This is the second resurrection at the end of the millennial age when it's all done and Satan has been cast into hell for all eternity. Okay? This is when... The second work of Christ will be finished. And let me explain that. Oh, there's so much to teach you. You can go on and read in Revelation uh, 20. And I saw a great white throne. This is John speaking. And him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away. And no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne. You see, this is the second resurrection that John saw. I read you earlier about the first one. And the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which are written in the books according to their deeds. 
And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades, and gave up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. And verse 14, and death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is when there will be no more death. This is when the second work of Christ is finished. There will be no more death. It's thrown into the lake of fire, right? Death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. But what I want to tell you, it implies that the book of life was there and there were Christians that were raised because it says their names were found in the book. So not all the Christians are raised at the first one. There are other Christians that had their name written in the book of life that are raised in the second resurrection. Do you see what I'm saying? Do you now see that there is a barley first fruit people in Christ and there is a wheat people Can you see that? There are two resurrections. I want to make sure that my name's written in the book of life, but I sure want to be part of that first resurrection. I hope that happens. I don't know. It's up to Daddy. Daddy alone can judge my heart. You can judge me all day and all long, and you can walk out of here, and anybody hearing this uh, teaching can say whatever they want. But he alone judges me, as he does you. He alone will make that decision. We've talked a lot about the Feast of Trumpets, but on that day when that happens and the first resurrection occurs, now let's imagine it. If this had just happened a few days ago. The dead in Christ have risen. These are the manifested sons, as Pastor was talking about. All creation has been groaning for the revealing of the sons. All of creation. Some of you are called, that is part of your destiny, and you're groaning. You want that fullness in you. Something's happened in you. You're willing to pay the price. You keep paying it whenever he puts it in front of you. You might resist for 20 seconds or maybe 20 minutes, maybe 20 hours. I don't know how long, but you surrender in the Garden of Gethsemane like Jesus did and said, nevertheless, you can't figure out another way to do this. Not my will, but yours be done. But it takes prayer. It takes the watchman. It takes the watchman. He kept going back. Can't you pray with me for one an hour? They didn't understand. We're ignorant when it comes to this. How much are you praying? How much do you pray? And I don't mean you have to sign up and hit the clock. I'm talking about you've got to talk to God. And there's times you've got to cry out to him. And there's times you've got to travail for more. Talking to God is prayer. But if you're talking to him long enough, he'll reveal to you his heart, and his heartbeat and what's on his mind. And sometimes it breaks my heart what's on his mind because he's so grieving over what we do at times and what we don't do. 
And then this hunger starts. We've got to have more. And this travail starts. And we start groaning utterances that only the spirit within you can groan. But at this feast, at that particular time, the sons of God are going to be manifest and they are going to be coming up out of the graves. And those that are remaining on the earth, there's something that's happening. And now imagine the TV, fake news media, whatever they're going to say. And you've seen the other... You've seen the other videos of the empty planes. You've seen, you know, the Tim Hayes series. I don't believe that because now I know it's not coming that way. I now know that when somebody says, well, Jesus could come tomorrow, I know that's not going to happen because Jesus told us the season. He didn't want you ignorant. He wants you to know what his law says and that it has to be fulfilled according perfectly and fulfilling to the hour, to the minute. It has to happen that way. I know that when they tell me that, oh, he could come any minute, he's not. Now, God can do anything. He said he could cut the time short for the sake of the elect so that all flesh wouldn't be destroyed on the earth. He has a loophole. He can do that. But I know that I'm watching now, and I'm watching for the fulfillment of the Feast of Trumpets and the sons of God to be manifest and the resurrection of the overcomers in the earth. And they come up out of the grave, and they start coming around and walking around town. Now what's going to happen? You know, we're also taught that the minute Jesus arrives on the scene, it's too late for you to make another decision. But the fall feasts don't teach us this. The fall feasts do not teach us this. Because the sons come, and they come out of the graves, and Jesus comes in. And he may not manifest himself to everybody, but he manifests himself to his sons. And he gathers them together. In ten days, he starts working with them, and he starts revealing himself to them. And the earth sees the dead coming up out of the graves, and they don't know what to do with that. And the church that has taught another doctrine, and doctrines of error based on their ignorance, the best that they had at the time, they're, they're, they're like in a stupor. It's what's happening. This isn't what we expected. This isn't how we taught it. This isn't how, this isn't how the great theologians in the seminaries have taught it. For ten days, it is called the ten days of awe between the Feast of Trumpets and Atonement. The days of awe. It is known as the days of awe. Do you think we will be in awe? We don't know. We won't know what's happening. But one thing we will know is there has been a change in the atmosphere. There's been a change in the atmosphere of the earth. There's been a change. And, and they won't, they, you might know. We'll be articulating it. We'll go, yeah, we had that right. And I'll go, yeah, but I didn't see this coming. Can you imagine? We, I didn't know this. But I knew that I, I was there waiting. Ten days of awe. The earth has ten days to come to the Feast of Atonement. They got ten extra days. They got ten days to repent. They got ten days to cast down their pride. They got ten days to say I was wrong. Oh, God, have mercy on me. Here's my sin. Show me my sins. I want to repent right now. I want to get ready for you. They have 10 days. There's 10 days. I, I can't explain this. You, you just have to, like, this is what the feast tells me. Atonement comes. You see, in the temple, the sacrifice on the feast of atonement was two goats. There were two goats. One, the priest came and laid his hands on it. They transferred all of their sins on the day of that 10-day period they transferred all the sins 
on the goat. That goat, and one of them was slaughtered. And that goat, the, mer- the blood from the goat was sprinkled on the mercy seat. We see that not only did Jesus take his blood at Passover, but he fulfilled atonement in that sense because he sprinkled his blood and he fulfilled it in that feast. Do you see that? It's a double fulfillment of the sprinkling of the blood of that one goat. The other goat was taken to a man that was standing over here in what is, if you break it down and do the research, it says an uninhabited land. And that goat was taken out. And we get the saying, the scapegoat. That goat took the sin away. One goat was sprinkled on the mercy seat. The other goat took the sin away. He removed it from them. It was far from them. It was where there was nobody that inhabited the land. Sin could not have its influence upon them. Do you see? Christ comes back in his second work. In the first work of Jesus, he died as the lamb, and it was sprinkled on the mercy seat. He was the goat. He died. It was sprinkled on the mercy seat. He finished that work. He covers us now by the blood of the lamb. We are covered by the blood. We, I told you this earlier. I made an emphasis on it. Now I want you to see the second goat, he comes back and fulfills the other offering at the return of Jesus. Because this time he's coming back, not just to cover the sin, he's coming to remove it. He's taking all the sin. There will be no more sin on earth. There will be no more sin. He's removing it all. Can you imagine a day that you can live without any sin in the atmosphere of this place? No sin in the heavenlies. It's all been done. It's all been bound. It's, uh, the de- enemy's been cast into the lake of fire. It doesn't exist. It is separate from us. There is no influence of it again. We are back to that garden paradise state that God intended. It is the restoration story of fulfillment. The feasts tell the story of the restoration to glory and glorification and wearing the clothing. They, were, they didn't have regular garments. They were clothed in God's glory. That was their clothing. You will have this. It was removed because of sin. But when sin is not just covered and sin is removed, it changes. And we go from the Pentecostal age where it's two loaves baked with leaven, and now there's no leaven anymore. You're living without leaven anymore. You're living without sin in your life anymore. Can you imagine? I want you to start thinking about these principles. Now, the next comes five days after atonement. There's so much more to be said about all of them. Oh, okay. Well, I just want to... I will. I just want to get them to the feast. Five days comes the first day of the Feast of Tabernacles. Okay? That's the party. Jesus reveals himself. His sons and his priests have been anointed. They've gone through the preparation. They've been taken and taught, even at his own hand, just like Aaron did for his own 
priests in the priesthood, and then they are brought out. And the bridegroom comes out of his chamber, and he comes to greet his bride, who has made herself ready. The other ones that had half lamps full, if we read that story of the ten virgins, that's 50% of them will not be ready to go into the celebration. It's just it's the story Jesus told. It's very sad. Get your lamp full and keep it that way. In the, in the hurricane, you went down there and got gas every day to keep the tank full. Keep your lamp full. But you know what I'm saying? You, it, it was on your mind. It was on your mind. And they wanted yours, your oil. You've got to get it. You've got to get it now while the getting's good. Well, there's plenty to go around. That seven days each day is another manifestation, and she touched on one. Unity comes to the people of God. The fullness of joy comes. The gathering, the oneness, everything comes. We'll talk about the seven things before the feast is over. I'll throw a few of those out in just exhortations. But the last and glorious day is the feast of the marriage supper of the Lamb. And they become one. And they rule in eternity. And none of us know what all that's about. But we're going to know about it. And we know that the Word of God says in the prophets, they said that God would deal with mankind for over a thousand generations. And if a, if a generation is just even 40 years, it's 40,000 years on earth. And then we have the new heaven. We have all these other teachings that we can't talk about today. But I hope that you got enough of tasting. And we can teach on these things deeper in the future. I'm willing to do it. That you got your first taste. And then we have layers and layers of affirmations and witnesses of the Word of God. We don't have hindsight on this one. So we're continually asking God for more revelation and understanding because we don't want to get caught unawares. But much of that is for you again. I just repeat it as I close. You're called to be watchmen on the wall. We're going to Jerusalem in a few days. It's going to be more to me than when I saw it in February. God has already shown me things we're going to do in the Spirit while we're there. It's an assignment. None of us know how long we can go to Israel. We don't know that the world will allow it if it continues going on. But I know that the group that goes is on assignment. And we're going to be doing some prayer work while we're there. And wherever the feet of our, the, the soles of our feet tread is going to be the glory of the Lord. We're going to go to the mountaintop. We're going to go to the east gate. We're going to go to the garden. We're going to go to the stations. They call it the stations of the cross, but I'm going to call it the station. The Lord gave me a whole vision. It started way before then. It's the stations of the sons of the living God. And we're going to lay hands, and we're going to take oil with us, and we're going to be equipped. And we're going to anoint the ground. It's frightening to me because, as I told you, the places that Lonnie and... God has taken Lonnie and I. 
I'm not saying we're, please, I, I don't think we're special in any way. We're weird. We're really nobodies. We're happy to be that. But where he has taken us this year, things have happened, just like when we were down there in Florida. And he told us to pray for mercy in every country, every nation, every town, and over the people that live there before we left. And mercy was extended to our state, Florida, and to our friends and to the brethren. But we're living in serious times. And God told me that when we're there in Israel, we're going to pray for mercy. I don't know what's coming at them. It kind of frightens me because of the pattern that I've seen him do in the nations that we were in earlier this year. But I know we're on assignment. And it's serious, and we're going to rejoice, and we're going to enjoy every moment. But I know that we'll be touched by sorrow because I was touched by sorrow that they don't know my Jesus. And I want them to have a chance. The Zionist mentality is that there's another covenant and we're going to be somewhere else during this time when they're figuring it out. No. We've got to have it now. They've got to find him. They've got to find him before the fullness comes. So, Lord, we agree to be your watchmen. We thank you for the, your revelation and your word, Lord, and we thank you for the mysteries that are being revealed in these last days. And, Lord, I know they were talking about the last days, too, over 2,000 years ago. But, God, if there's one thing true, we're one day closer to the, la- to the end than we were yesterday. And we want, don't want to be caught unawares. We ask you to just set a fire in our hearts and our souls that would lead us to righteousness and to be led by the Spirit as the sons of God in these hours. Lord, increase your love. Let it be the first and foremost thing in our lives that we would be carriers of that. And we would, our, our works and our deeds would match up with the words of our mouth. Lord, we've been willing to embrace your sufferings. And we're here to tell you, we don't know how you did it. <laughs> but your grace has been sufficient for us, Father. And it will continue to be. And now set a, heart, set, a, set a fire of passion for prayer as you call them to the garden to pray with you for an hour, Lord. Let us not be found sleeping, not at such an important time in the history of mankind in your church, Lord. We're led to pray for mercy, God. Have mercy. Mercy. Show yourself strong in these days. Show them who you are, Father. Show them who you are, Father. There is no God like you. We bless your holy.